Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. The book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It was pretty, uh, pretty neat, you know, as I was preparing for today and praying about what the Lord wanted to teach. And, you know, we, we plan our worship sets sometimes weeks in advance. And um, many times the Lord just uses the worship to kind of enhance or, uh, you know, uh, as a prelude to the message. And uh, in Christ alone, it was awesome today, that verse where it says, This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Today we're going to... We're going to take, take a little bit of a journey through the book of, Eze- of uh, Nehemiah, and we're going to get a picture of who this man was. This is somebody who was really, um, he, he built his life on God, and he was a great prayer warrior. Um, he was a determined guy, and uh, he's, it's an amazing story. So uh, we're not going to go through the entire book, obviously, but it's kind of a little bit of, to whet your appetite to dig into this, to this book. And uh, we're going to go through a few things. In that vein, most of us will probably admit that we're all a work in progress. <laughs> sort of a construction project waiting to be completed. But we notice that a lot of times in our lives that construction can be hindered, right, for many reasons. Some uh, are internal and some are external. Some are self-inflicted and others are just beyond our control through no fault of our own. There are obstacles that might come in and set us back in our plan for our lives. And in many ways, we can compare our lives to a real construction project with all of the unforeseen pitfalls and uh, setbacks and difficulties that might come up. You know, if you've ever been a part of a a building project or a construction project, or even if you've watched some of those renovation shows on television, you know that there are so many unexpected disruptions that pop up you know, as they're going through the house and they're tearing, tearing into the walls and they, and they find these things that they didn't expect to see. So there's a lot of things that may get in the way and disrupt uh, those construction projects. The book of Nehemiah talks about this one historic construction project. And it has all the aspects of any building project that you could think about. But it also had this great general contractor in the name of Nehemiah. He was steadfast in his determination. He was a trusted worker in the king's palace. He was a Jew living in a pagan land, yet he was committed to carrying out God's plan, not only for his life, but also for his people. And he's a great example to us of determination. 
we're going to dig in today a little bit of uh, what made him so unwavering. What made him so determined to follow through on the plan that God had for his life? I believe the secret to his perseverance in the midst of opposition, in the midst of all the impediments and discouragements, was that he never lost touch with God. He never lost touch. The name Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. And we see how many times throughout this book that the Lord comforts him when he needs it the most. And Nehemiah also knew where his strength really came from. As we see him work out all the details of this project, we can make application to our lives. Because our lives can be beset with pitfalls and setbacks and obstacles and hindrances. But the question for us is, how can we be steadfast? How can we be determined and persistent to complete the work that God has for us? And in order to answer that question, we need to look at a few things that really stood out about this man, Nehemiah. First, we really need to look at his motivation. What motivated him? To have this desire to take on this project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem after they have been destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C. We see this small remnant of God's people who returned to the land, but they returned and they very slowly rebuilt the temple, but the walls were still torn down. And in that time, an unwalled city was susceptible to the attacks of the enemy at any time. And Nehemiah heard about the situation that they were in. And he wept for the people. And he felt called by God to organize this rebuilding project. Nehemiah sensed God's direction on his life to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He was motivated by a love for the people and a love and devotion to God. And if you go through the entire book, you'll see the project wasn't an easy one. It had a lot of problems and difficulties and opposition along the way. It had times of discouragement. Yet Nehemiah's determination was firm. And I think there's one thing that we can point out in this entire book that really kept him moving in his determination to finish the work of God, and that was prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Actually, there are several prayers recorded in the scriptures as you go through the book of Nehemiah, and some of them are just short cries out to the Lord. Some of them are longer prayers. All of them, though, seek to glorify God and also point to the direction of who is, who, who's going to help Nehemiah through this project. And we're going to take a look at a few of them today because I believe that prayer is the one thing that's going to help us in our walk, finishing what God has called for us. So I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And in verses 
4 through 6, it says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, that which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. And then jump down to verse 11. And it says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You know, when Nehemiah heard about the plight of his people, he immediately went to the Lord in prayer. And his prayer begins with worship. His prayer begins with adoration. And this should be where we start. Like the apostles' prayer that Jesus taught or modeled for us, he begins with worship. This kind of puts us in the proper position, sort of to receive from the Lord what he wants to tell us, what he wants us to hear. We need to be aligned with his will, and we need to be in a, in a, in a state and a condition of worship and praise to him. The next thing Nehemiah does is he confesses. He confesses. And we need to recognize our failings. We need to recognize our sin and understand that God desires to forgive. It's a great way to get right with God before we go to him in prayer. Notice what he said in um, in verse 6. Be attentive to be your, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you. That is, that's a place that we need to get to in our time with the Lord. A time of adoration and praise and worship, but also a time of understanding our sinfulness and our failings. And we're all going to fall. And so sometimes, I know for me, it feels like I'm not worthy to come before the Lord in prayer. So I think confession is a really necessary part to our time of prayer with him. And then Nehemiah asks for grace and mercy, as well as success in what he's doing for God. But he qualifies this prayer. And he indicates his devotion to God, knowing that the Lord desires steadfast devotion to him. And that God will respond to those who love him. Second Chronicles 7.14 tells us, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, there's a place that we need to get to in our time of prayer with the Lord where we humble ourselves. 
And then seeking that grace and mercy that he desires to give us. But notice the relational aspect of our prayer life. In that Second Chronicles 7.14, there's a, there's a re- relational aspect to that. There's a if, if we humble ourselves, if we seek the Lord, if we pray, if we repent of our sin, then God will hear our prayers. There's that relationship that we need to keep established in our time with the Lord in order for him to speak to us and for us to actually hear what he has to say. We need to be consistent in our walk. It's not just uh, when we need something. It's not just uh, you know throwing up a short prayer every once in a while, but it's a consistent prayer life, a daily prayer life, a habit of humility and then going before the Lord. Turn with me in Nehemiah to chapter 2, verse, verse 2 through 4. And it's going to give us a picture of another prayer of this man, Nehemiah. And in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's awesome. So now this is a time where Nehemiah didn't go away to a secret place, to his prayer closet, so to speak. Didn't go away to, into the wilderness. But he, right before the king, as he's having this conversation, as the king notices that he was sad in his countenance, that his face looked like there was, it was troubled, Right then and there, he says, I pray to the Lord. I pray to the God of heaven. The king was asking Nehemiah why he was so sad. You know, he would see Nehemiah every day. Being the king's cupbearer was more than just being the butler. It was actually the one, he was actually the one who would pre-taste the food for the king to make sure that it wasn't poison because the king was always concerned that somebody was going to try to to kill him and to take the throne. So Nehemiah was in a place of, uh, of trust with the king. And so they had a relationship and the king noticed that he was sad. There was something going on. It's nice to have a boss that notices, right, when something's going on in your life and, and uh, you know, will have that relationship with you and that you can go to him. So even though Nehemiah said, I was afraid, because, you know, you have to understand this position in the, uh, in the government was a lowly position, um, but it was an, a position where he was in immediate c- contact with the king. But he said... Uh, I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, we look around our culture, and we've talked about this so frequently because we can see the, just the downfall uh, continuing. We look around at the culture. We see how it's being torn down. 
how the institutions that were built on God-honoring um, uh, foundations are being torn down, set aside. And it should cause us, as it did Nehemiah, to mourn over the condition of the world. But it wasn't just the culture. It wasn't just the society he was concerned about or sad about. It was also the people. It was also the people. And that should also be something for us. That we look around and we see people lost. We see people without direction. And it should cause us to mourn over the condition of the people that uh, we come in contact with. And it could be friends, relatives, co-workers. But there's, there's something going on, and we need to be attentive to that as people of God. And he also recognized that a people separated from a true relationship with God were destined for disaster. You know, these people were, were taken out of their homeland, and uh, their, uh, the city was destroyed And then as they started to go back, they still weren't quite in a position to have that relationship with God completely restored. So Nehemiah just brings a prayer before God. And right in the midst of his conversation with the king. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations like that, right? Where we're just, something's going on. We're in the midst of something, maybe a conversation. uh, But... Maybe we're driving down the road and, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, something going on in front of us. And we just throw that prayer up to the Lord. He hears us. But he also hears us because we've established that relationship with him. Sometimes a short prayer under our breath is all we have time for. But these are powerful prayers if they flow out of a consistent prayer life. And and a heart that's sincerely seeking after the Lord. And that's the important aspect about prayer. It needs to be a lifestyle. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. The Apostle Paul encourages us to constantly be in prayer. So that may mean a short prayer in the midst of an urgent situation. But it also should include a daily conversation with God. Our prayer life needs to be consistent and frequent. And then we will be cultivating that relationship with him. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to look at another prayer of this faithful man, Nehemiah. And in verse 1... It says, but it's, but it so happened that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and he mocked the Jews. Now Tobiah in verse three, now Tobiah, the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, this is, this is back to Nehemiah, he's saying, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. So we see here that there were people that were coming against Nehemiah in this building project. There was opposition. These two guys, Sam Ballin and Tobiah, were constantly mocking him. 
and trying to put up obstacles and hindrances to get in the way of the work that was being done. And he mocked the Jews. I mean, imagine saying that even if a fox goes up on the wall, he'll break it down. You may rebuild that wall, but it won't last, he's saying. So what did Nehemiah do? He went right to the Lord. Went right to the Lord in prayer. He said, God, we're despised. We're hated for what we're doing for you. And then he asked God to just be just. Be righteous as he always is. Nehemiah's prayer was for God to act justly on how he deals with those who would seek to stop the work. And this wasn't really, this wasn't a prayer of revenge against his enemies, but for God to be glorified. Remember, when the work of God is completed, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. And if anyone tries to get in the way of that work, it's going to take away that glory from God that he deserves. As individuals, sometimes we encounter personal attacks, right? Or ridicule for our faith. As believers, we're often bombarded with a culture that aims to discourage and hinder us from doing the work of God. And we need to recognize that the obstacles that the enemy is putting up, they're done in order to slow us down or even stop the work of God. We need to be attentive to that. We need to recognize what the enemy is trying to do in our lives to stop that work of God. And then those are the times where we go to the Lord in prayer. Just like Nehemiah, we give it to the Lord and then continue the work. Let it not hinder us from doing what God's called us to do. And he'll always strengthen us. Turn now to Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 17. The next prayer we're going to look at is a prayer for God's a gratitude for God's faithfulness. A prayer of gratitude. And this is very interesting. This, is, this kind of came after Nehemiah demonstrated uh, what a great guy he really was. Just the, how generous he was and how God-honoring he was in the work that he was doing. You know, he gave generously to the people who were doing the work and he provided for them. And he didn't put them in debt to the government. And that's something that, you know, uh, he just was very thoughtful of them. So in verses 17 through 19, it says, And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from nations, from the nations around us. That now that that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days, and abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, O God, my God, for good, according to all I have done for this people. So every day there was a feast for those who were doing the work on the rebuilding of the wall. And Nehemiah knew that it was important to show his gratitude to them and to be generous for what the Lord had given him. You know, the, the king was providing um, the materials 
to rebuild the wall and even um, providing the, the food and everything else, the supplies that were needed. But he didn't go back and ask for more just to, just to store up more. He took only what he needed, only what he needed to provide for the workers, and then he generously gave to them. This is a, just a heart of generosity that really should inspire us. Nehemiah was a, a very giving person, always thinking of others. And then he was always giving God the glory. You know, when we look around at worldly leaders, we see them using their power and using their authority to promote themselves, right? To promote their, their own interests. But as children of God, with Jesus as our example, we will give to others as opposed to wanting more for ourselves. And he asks the Lord here, remember me, remember me, God. And this wasn't a self-serving type of prayer by Nehemiah. That's not the kind of guy he was. This was a prayer that after just his display of generosity on, on his part, he just wanted God to get all the glory. Remember me, God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people, because look what they're doing for you, Lord. Look what they're doing. They're completing the work. And Nehemiah was just giving God all the glory. He wasn't seeking the praise of men for his kindness to the people, but for God to recognize his faithfulness. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we're motivated by love for others and a desire for God to be glorified, we can ask God to remember us for what we've done. He will, as long as it's not done out of uh, pride, but in a humble, with a humble heart. And when God works in us and through us, He gets the glory. Right? He gets the glory. But we also sense his pleasure, don't we? When we're doing the work for the Lord and we're obedient to him. We sense his pleasure. And that should also give us joy. Knowing that we're pleasing God. Amen? We're going to turn now to Nehemiah chapter 6. And look at this next prayer of Nehemiah. And this is a prayer for strength. This is a prayer for strength. We saw a prayer of gratitude. We saw a prayer of praise. We're going to see now a prayer for strength in the midst of opposition. And in verses 5 through 9 in chapter 6, it says, Then Sanballat sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, before, so come therefore, and let us consult together. This guy was really, he was a sneak, this Sam Ballot. 
He was always trying to undermine Nehemiah's work. And now he sends this letter and he names this person and he says, he doesn't say I have facts and evidence. He said, according to the rumors. Now, that, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that anything that he was saying was true. And I think Nehemiah was able to also see through that. But he says, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. That wasn't what Nehemiah was doing. See, the opposition that was coming against Nehemiah was also full of lies and deceit. They, they were stretching the truth at the best. They were telling lies about Nehemiah and the work that was being done. And he says in verse 8, Then I sent to him, so this is Nehemiah's reply to that letter, Then I sent to him saying, No such things are as you, as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. You made them up, Samballot. None of it's true. It's fake news, so to speak. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. So they're just trying to discourage us in the work that the Lord wants to do. And then his prayer. Therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Sometimes we feel the oppression of people coming against us for what we're doing for the Lord. We cannot allow that to weaken us. See, they even said here in this letter that they're weak. Their hands are going to be weakened. They're not going to be able to complete the work. Maybe they sensed that all of these lies and false falsehoods were getting to them a little bit. Maybe the work was slowing down. Don't allow the enemy to get in and disrupt the work that God's doing in your life. Ask for him to strengthen you. This latest attack came after Nehemiah refused to compromise with the ones who wanted to thwart his progress. You see, they first tried to get him to join a coalition together. But Nehemiah was too wise. And God showed him that that wasn't the proper thing to do. And so they decided to then slander him and accuse him falsely but he defended himself and that's okay we can defend ourselves against the unfair attacks of other people and he dealt with the threats and the character assassination and the torment from his enemies and then he prays to the lord for strength god i i need you to strengthen me in this i cannot face them on my own we know that they're empowered by the enemy and Lord I need you and so that that was just an awesome prayer of strength asking the Lord to strengthen us you know sometimes we may get spoken of falsely as believers sometimes we might encounter adversity that hinders God's work in our lives. But God will be faithful to strengthen us to do all that he's called us to do. And then he will get all the glory. 
Now we're going to turn to chapter 9 in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9 is actually the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And that's why I really believe that Nehemiah is an example for us as a man of prayer, a real true prayer warrior. Someone who had that relationship with the Lord consistently and would continue to go back to him when he was feeling just the pressure of, you know, not only what the Lord wanted him to do, just the pressures of life, just the things that come upon us. You know, it could be something at your job or something at your home or maybe a financial situation that you just feel burdened by. And and Nehemiah is an awesome example of just continually going to the Lord at all different times in our life. And this prayer in chapter 9 comes after the work was completed. So it would probably be a good idea to go back and read through those in. You know, those chapters before this, just to see how it all works out. But it comes after the work was completed, and the people recognize God's awesome hand upon them. You know, whenever we've completed anything for the Lord, there needs to be recognition of who God is and who actually did the work. You know, God uses us as his hands and his feet in this world to do those things that he's called us to do. But he also empowers us by his Holy Spirit in order to get it done. So in verse 3, it says, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So... This service will be about six hours today, so just (laughs) Um, imagine a quarter of the day just reading from the Bible. You know, that's devotion to the Lord, right? We can't get 20 minutes in a day sometimes. You know, we make excuses, but uh, this was this is just the beginning of them setting their setting their eyes upon the Lord for the work that he did, giving him all the honor and all the glory, right? And so they read from the Bible. It's a great lesson for us. Sometimes we don't know how to pray, right? Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We're in, a, we're in a, just a place that we don't, we don't know which way to go. And sometimes God's word is what actually gives us direction, Not only direction for our lives, but just direction to know how to pray. God's word will do that for us. And then they confessed their sin. It says here, another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. They confessed. Part of going before the Lord in prayer, we mentioned already, is confession. Just being in a right place to hear from the Lord. Not having that sin hinder us, hinder that relationship with us. Go to him, seek him for forgiveness, 
and then go to him in prayer. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we just need to feel like we're cleansed by God before we can go to him in prayer. And then they worshiped, and maybe it was a, a time of music and worship and singing, but it was an outward expression of their love and their gratitude to God. Whenever he's done a great work in our lives, it should create that heart of worship in us. You know, the Apostle Paul talk, talks about us being compelled to worship the Lord because of all the good he's done in our lives. And that's part of it. Just recognizing that he's just, he's so good and he desires to do a work. But from verse 6 to the end of the chapter is this great prayer of Nehemiah. And we're not going to go through the whole thing, but, but just know that it's, it's an awesome prayer. It's the longest prayer in the Bible, and it reveals a few things about God. First, it reveals God's greatness. Verse 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all the, their host, and the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that are in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Just, Lord, you are awesome. You are great. You've created all things. And everything was made by you and for you, and they all worship you. God, you are awesome. That's a great way to begin a prayer. Just a declaration of the greatness of God in recognition for his awesome power. And then it reveals the goodness of God. The greatness of God I see as like this macro view of who God is. But now we, we're going to see more of a micro view, like the goodness of God. So in verse 9, it says, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. And then in verse 14, it says, You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. And then in verse 20, it says, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So now, recognizing God's greatness, right? This kind of this, this wide angle view of who God is. Now we get to see just his dealings with his people. Just the intimate relationship. You know, providing for their needs, giving guidance and direction, right? He does the same for us as he did with the children of Israel that Nehemiah is referring to here. And he also gives us his Holy Spirit. He said, says there in verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them. How much do we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to instruct us, to guide us, to direct us, so we know which way to go? But then he gave them manna and water. He fed them. He nourished them. That's an intimate relationship. That's a personal thing. 
that we can sense from God and his hand upon our lives. And without that aspect, you know, we can worship God for his greatness, for for creation, for all that he's done. But without that intimate personal relationship, we wouldn't sense his presence, his closeness in our lives. And that's really important to us, to keep us going in the work that he has. And then the last thing that I want to mention in this prayer is that the grace of God is revealed. We've talked about the greatness of God and the goodness in that personal relationship with us, but now the grace of God. It says in verse 31 in chapter 9, it says, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful. He's great in his power. He's intimate in his relationship with us. But he also gives us grace. He also gives us mercy. He shows us mercy even when we're disobedient. You know, the children of Israel, if you read through that whole prayer, you know, there's recognition of who God is. But a lot of it is recognition of their sinfulness and their unfaithfulness. Bible says that even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Thank God for that. But he shows us mercy. He shows us grace. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned up our act and not when we you know, went to church for six months in a row. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That really, really shows us the grace and mercy of God. That undeserved favor. You know, that holding back his wrath from us. That, that's only something that, that God can do. And the ultimate expression, right, of his grace is what is Jesus Christ going to the cross for us. So that prayer just expresses all of those beautiful things of who God is. And then he sends his son, right, to die for our sins. And then we still reject him. Right? We still ignore him. We still go our own way. And yet he continues to draw us. Continues to draw us. Well, there's something about this, this book of Nehemiah that was really, it just, it's inspiring. You know, it's really inspiring. And because, you know, it shows the, 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 the difficulties and the uh, uh, obstacles and all of the, the trouble that he had in rebuilding the walls and, and doing this project for the Lord, we can make application to our own personal lives. Because we can see that there are a lot of things in our lives that are broken down, right? And we, sometimes we just need to ad- admit that we need, we kind of need that renovation project in our own lives. But what are we going to build our lives on? You know, if the, if the walls were built 
on an unstable footing, they wouldn't hold up. Now, I'm sure Nehemiah had all of his uh, experts there showing him what to do and how to build the walls. But we need guidance, too. We need guidance in our own lives on what to do. The truth is that God wants to do a work in our lives. Now, Luke 6 47 through 49, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus tells us about building our lives on that firm foundation, which is him. And he tells us that the storms are going to come. And yet we will be able to withstand it because we've built our lives on a sure, firm foundation. I think a lot of people today feel like their lives are built on a very unstable foundation. And maybe uh, maybe you've never even considered you know, building your lives on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Maybe you've just been going along in your life and you just, you don't know which way to turn. And, you know, your life is, feels like it's ready to fall apart. You know, this story of Nehemiah is a real, like I said, a real inspiring one. It's a, it's one of persistence. It's one of persistence through prayer. But it's one where he persevered because of his relationship with God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.